Nation Radio. My name is Ryan Hanley, and I'm joined by Marty Agather for the second part of our breakdown of McKinsey's Death of the Local Independent Insurance Agent article. Actually, it was named the uh, the Agency of the Future article. Uh, we did one part, uh, episode 85. This is episode 87. Episode 85 was part one. You can go back and listen to that. We broke down... Um, the four elements of change that McKinsey highlighted and some other things. And, and this being the, the four-year anniversary of that report, we wanted to kind of take a look at, at what was different um, or, or, or what they missed on, what they hit on, and, and the, you know, kind of the conclusion that Marty and I came to in a broad sweeping stroke was that McKinsey wasn't so far off. You know, four years ago, it felt like a stretch, but here we are, uh, 2017, and you know, a lot of the things that they predicted are, um, if not true today, uh, seemingly on the way to being true. And uh, we wanted to take the second half, we wanted to do a, a second part of this, um, dive into some of the reasons and then get into things that we think that you guys can actually be doing to stay ahead of this. If, if we can't stop the world from changing, which we can't, um, then we have to adapt and evolve our businesses to uh, be successful in that space. So, um, Marty, I can hear you rummaging through papers over there. Uh, what's on your brain, dude? Oh, like everything, uh, just getting myself prepped here. You are right, Ryan. I mean, this was an interesting report that, uh, came out and it, caused a firestorm in the industry because some people, you know, looked at it and scoffed and said, you know, who are these guys and how dare they, you know, um, claim that, uh, that, that the independent agent adds no value to the channel. And ultimately, that wasn't what they said at all. What they said was the environment is changing at an ever-increasing pace and the way things were done in the past needs to change. And so today we're going to sort of drill down on some of those conclusions and, and talk specifically about um, their recommendations to agencies that are looking to navigate these waters and come out ahead. Yeah. So the way we left uh, episode 85, and if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to go back, uh, listen to episode 85. Um, the way we left off that episode was I, I left you guys with a question, and we actually got some really interesting feedback. Um, for, for a long time, the independent agency's value proposition, among other things, uh, one of the primary value propositions that we presented in the marketplace was the fact that we were local. We were in your community. We were one of you, all these things. And uh, I left you guys with a question. Marty and I kind of finished our conversation about the first half of this report with the idea of, is local or should local still be the primary driver of, of our value proposition? Or do we need to transition that to the right agent, which, in which local is just a, a piece of, one, one fraction of the pie of whether or not you are the right agent for that consumer or that consumer is the right consumer for your agency um, is, is the idea of being local. And... Um, you know, I think it's a very it's a very big topic. It's a very heady topic because there's a lot of ways you can go with it, Marty. But you know, I, I spent some time the last couple, uh, the last week or so between uh, between episode 85 and this one, uh, thinking about this particular topic. And I actually, in episode 86, uh, pressed it to um, Bill Wilson, uh, who was our guest um, in between these two. And you know, I think more and more. 
what technology has done is um, equalize the local benefit. I think there was a time when local was an almost overwhelming advantage, competitive advantage that independent agencies had. And today, I don't know that being local, uh, though important, is the competitive advantage that it once was. I, I, I obviously uh, don't disagree with you on this on this topic. I think I think for the right agency, being local is a huge game changer. Um, but and and potentially for the right customer, right? Um, because some some customers value that into that local intimacy much more than others. However, I'm I'm going to you know posit a somewhat uh, controversial viewpoint and say that for a significant number of consumers, local doesn't even enter the decision matrix because they have never dealt with a local um, agency. Or if they have dealt with a local agency, they've realized that the number of times that the transaction takes place via a face-to-face transaction is slim to none. So, so the the market is maybe maybe it's not moving. Maybe it's reached stasis. But the market has there is a segment of the market for whom local is no longer even a factor. So, so I think the the what may have been one of the most primary decision points was local. The locality or the localness of the agency has been diminished in the eyes of some consumers. In in others, it's it's as high as it's ever been. So you know, I, Marty, I think a lot of that has to do with um, millennials and young Gen Xers because I look at my own life, right? And um, yeah, when I was young, uh, less than ten years old, even into my early teens, um, there were a lot of local businesses, and you went to the local shoe store. I remember getting a like an eighth grade dance outfit, you know, from uh, from like the local clothing store or whatever, you know, and um, you know, it, it just you went to local shops. They were they were owned by John and Sally and Tommy or Timmy, and and that's and that was the deal. Um, today, you drive. I live probably five minutes off of a a main. Uh, commercial vein uh, in the greater Albany area. It's Route 9 and Latham. And uh, there are just hundreds of stores on this strip. It's just a big commercial area. Dude, I can't even tell you how many are actually local and not some sort of franchise or natural brand. It just, I mean, they're just the local. Now, there's a couple local restaurants for sure. Restaurants are probably the last bastion. Um, there's so just, a, just for clarity's sake, what you're saying is very few of the retail establishments are of a local ownership. Uh, yeah. Okay. Local. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. They are, they are local to us. They're, they're physically on route nine, the, the businesses, but the ownership isn't necessarily local. And, um, you know, there's a local gas station, but they have 700 locations up and down the Hudson Valley that Stewart's, which I'm a big fan of, but. Um, so I guess you could say they're local to a certain extent, but that local shop is just less and less becoming part of our lives. Like you go to, you know, you go out to eat. We took the kids to uh, Red Robin the other day. 
right? Red Robin's been in the area for 20 years, but it's not locally owned. You know what I mean? That's a national franchise, but it's a great place for kids. You just, you just, you stop, you know, it's just, it becomes, as the options become less, it becomes less a part of our culture to go to the local place. And, um, and, and it, it just becomes, it, it starts to transcend your, your, the way you think about things. I, I went shopping in for uh, shoes at Dick's the other day. And my wife goes, what are you going to do? You're not buying them here. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, oh, figure out what you want. We'll go home and I'll find it for 20% less online. And I'm like, ah, that's wonderful. Let's do that. So that's exactly what we did. And that mentality just starts to permeate throughout all our buying decisions. So- I don't, I don't know that we've uh, actually explored this little uh, fact on, on our podcast yet. If we haven't, um, let's, let's uh, put, put a tick mark next to this. But do you recall this report? Uh, it's out, I don't know, probably within the last 30 days that compares and contrasts the dis- the value destruction um, in all the brick and mortar stores as compared to the uh, increase in value in Amazon. Um, it's just, it's amazing. And what, what you're referring to is this absolute disintermediation of the physical thing and the intermediation, if that's actually a word, of the digital access point. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's just no doubt that that's happening. Um, you know, the days of, uh, you know, eyeball to eyeball selling um, are not gone. They're certainly not gone. Nor, nor do I think they ever will be. But it just can't be the only trick that you got. You know what I mean? You're, you, you have to be, you have to be comfortable doing more. Um, there was a really interesting blog post by a guy by the name of David O'Brien. He works for State Auto. I will make sure it's in the show notes. Um, and he was talking about how uh, agencies need to start uh, hiring digital strategists, digital marketing professionals, not 23-year-olds um, who've used the internet before, but actually looking into the marketplace f- for this position in particular. And uh, I th- think it was really well thought out. He put some some um, things to consider agency owners could, should consider when they're hiring this type of position, and he makes a really good argument. And I can thought I, it was can a good I, argument. Can I can I can I uh, offer up my? I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> well, but you know, it, well, you know, it, there will come a day in the very near future, Marty. We've talked about this at length, where. The insurance industry becomes much more of a meritocracy and less of a club. And when that day comes, business decisions will have to be made regardless of your personal opinions. And we'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, I, say- I, I, I think I think the business decision, the, the, the level, I, I don't want to make this sound uh, over, overly negative, but I think that um, what, as, as, as this, as this, um, market matures and as the as the changes roll through the industry the level of um, sort of basic investment that an, that, that that a successful agency is going to have to make will increase it's and 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 actually I mean that, that drives us right to our conclusion so so I'll put a pin in that and we'll hold it uh, for when we get to that I know we've got another topic that you wanted to jump into before we wrapped on on this report 
jump around. You're like a, it's like squirrel, Marty, whoo, over here. Um, so let's let's dive down. I wanna I wanna talk about that for a second. So this whole I didn't finish my thought on the digital marketing person. Yeah. So uh, David wrote this article. It's a great article. Um, and I, I did some thinking on it a little bit because you know I, I I think there was a time when I would say hiring a digital strategist is the right decision. I actually, as much as I think David's article is, is phenomenal, and I'm not knocking him for it, I think that he's actually wrong. And I'm going to tell you why. I don't think we can delineate between a digital marketing professional and an insurance producer any longer. I think your insurance producer and every producer that you have in your office must also be a digital marketing professional. It is, it is a skill set. The, the digital marketing skill set needs to be part of being a producer or being a producer needs to be part of being a digital strategist because I think to have the two disconnected uh, creates a it creates a void, a gap, a, a, a lethargy, um, um, a, a, you know, a disconnect. If I didn't already say that, it, it just there, there's a it it doesn't it doesn't tie correctly. Now that doesn't mean you can't have a head of marketing that that kind of oversees the activity. But I don't think you can have a digital market a producer who's like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna push back on you a little bit. You 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 just about got to my point, but before you totally kill my ability to to have a comment on this, I'm gonna push back. Um, for for some of the people in our in our listening audience who might be a little skeptical with what Ryan just said, I'm gonna sort of. Uh, you know, go back to my days as a producer and in the agency and compare and contrast. Um, there, I remember producers in an agency who couldn't use a keyboard, who literally were digitally incompetent. They couldn't use the management system. They had no ability to do anything other than interact in a very professional, you know, insurance risk uh, management perspective and in a sales friendly way. I don't think that that if that person walked into any of our listeners' offices today, that they would have an ice cube's chance in hell of getting hired because we expect an insurance professional today to be digitally literate. They don't have to be, they don't have to be superstars, but they at least have to be able to, to, to look up a client's information in the management system, figure out, you know, what their deductible is and respond to a question. What, what Ryan just said in my mind is we need, we don't need those producers to be, digital marketing superstars, but they have to be literate in the concepts so that if somebody else in the agency is is working to help them, they don't resist those efforts and they understand at the end of the day, maybe not all the tactics and techniques and how that's all being transacted, but they understand what the result is going to be. Okay. Now, to, 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 to expound on Ryan's point, if indeed that person is the next notch up in skill set and can actually begin to strategize and create tactics on their own for digital marketing that helps drive their production even better. But I, I don't think know why you would hire someone today who, could, who can't create video, create blogs, isn't comfortable sending out emails, 
uh, responding to people, doesn't know the basic functionality of social media. I, I could not imagine hiring that person. Now, granted, if you're Marsha McLennan and you're trying to sell IBM, their insurance program, do you need to know how to use Facebook well? Probably not the top of the list. But if you're a main street agency, if you're working with middle market to personal lines that's including high net worth, and, and you're going to hire somebody, I get that you have legacy employees and I don't want to see anybody lose their job. But if you're going to hire a new producer today and they can't do, they're not a six or a seven on the scale of digitally oriented marketing and sales tactics, why would you invest a dollar in them? It's not going back the other way. It's never going back to handshakes and golf games. Again, those are part of it, but it's not the only piece of the game. I couldn't even imagine, I couldn't even imagine contemplating hiring that person. And then you're going to teach them how to do this stuff. It just, to me, it's setting yourself up for failure um, to, to even consider somebody who, who want, maybe, maybe if they're willing to learn and you're willing to pay for their training, maybe that's something. But to bring someone in, throw them into the fire and just expect them to pay for it or learn on their own, to me, is just you don't really care. You just you don't really care. You're just hiring someone to hire somebody. Yeah. Um, that being said, there's quite a bit of valuable marketing knowledge to be gained on Agency Nation University. So please uh, have your staff uh, work through that stuff. Mark, let me guide the ship. Your transitions are so terrible. It's not even funny. Just let me guide the ship. All right. So, um, so, all right. So, so we're getting back into this agency of the future. We talked a little bit about, um, uh, David O'Brien's article on uh, digital marketing. Go check it out. I think you take the skills that he highlights in that article, but you, you make sure that every producer in your office, or at least every new hire producer that you're going to bring into your office has those skills. And I personally would caution you against to give everyone a takeaway, caution you against hiring someone who has, um, who is not going to produce and is only a marketer unless you have a large operation. Now, if you're uh, Seth Zaremba uh, from Zinc Insurance and you have a really meaty operation and a really good workflow, then maybe it makes sense to have some dedicated marketing people. But if you're a 15-person agency and you're looking to hire a new producer, uh, I would not. I would. I would hire a producer who can do digital marketing work and, and is native to it, not a, a marketing-only person who's not getting paid a commission because ultimately then there's no real incentive for the logarithmic growth that, uh, that uh, digital marketing can provide to you over time. So, so good takeaway there. Okay, so Marty, so getting back into this report. Um, so one of the things when I was looking back through this again that really caught my eye that I think uh, – independent agents need to be aware of. And, and, and obviously our, our carrier professionals that are listening to, they already know this. Um, they write, uh, one of the headlines is the ascendance of the carrier brand. Okay. So for the lifetime of the independent insurance agency channel, essentially how the relationship all began is, is the retail agent is the distribution uh, arm, uh, you know, supposedly frontline underwriting and all and, and claims handling too, but we've kind of given up those responsibilities over time. Um, so we are the frontline distribution arm of our independent agency carriers, and they spend less on marketing, 
in exchange for the commissions that they pay to retail agents. I know I'm broad sweeping stroke, but that's the general idea, right? Um, digital has allowed carriers to bypass the retail agent in pushing their brand, okay? You look at, um, well, the top four spenders back in 2011 were Geico State Farm, Allstate Farmers, uh, then came Progressive Liberty Nationwide, Farm Family, Travelers AIG, USA. That's the top, USAA, that's the top 10, okay? That hasn't changed much. That really has not changed much in terms of the spend. All the numbers have gotten bigger since then, but those are basically the same brands. Now, what's happening in the marketplace as well is other carriers, some of our super regionals and maybe um, uh, nationals that don't have a large or a long tradition of marketing nationally have started to step out front. And I think that that causes some some pain or uh, pain. um, uh, There's a little bit of fear there from retail agents that the carriers are thinking about going direct. And uh, and I think they should. I think. Agents should be afraid, um, and I mean that because uh, digital has allowed carriers to build a direct relationship with the consumers that they want to serve. Now, part of that is a good thing for agents, right? There's the double sale, right? Every independent agent has to sell twice. You have to sell yourself, then you have to sell the carrier, right? And if the carrier, if they've never, if the client has never heard of the carrier before, they start asking questions about like, well, is you know, XYZ Mutual, a good company. I've never heard of them before. Are they going to be around in 10 years? Then you have to explain to them they've been in the market for 110 years and they're A-rated and you have to explain to them what the rating means. And, and that's just a whole terrible conversation. And when carriers start to step out front, you can do away with that second sale because then the client goes, oh, I've heard of XYZ Mutual. They sponsor the local AA affiliate of the Mets. And you're like, oh, okay, great. And, um, you know, but... The hard part is going to be for agents is we have to continue to do our job as, as the distribution arm. And as we falter, as we don't keep our foot on the gas, as we, you know, fail to adopt digital tools, it only creates more concern in the mind of carriers who rely on retail agents to distribute their product and puts pressure on the CEOs and C-suites inside these carriers to start considering direct options to keep revenues up uh, in exchange for any reduction in production that they see from the retail agents. So I think uh, I think we're starting to see that happening, and I think the concerns are real, and I think the market actually shows, you know, if you really think about it, you can understand why they're doing it. I, I think that the pressure comes from another area as well. I mean, clearly what you've identified with um, the in the shortcomings in um, the in the distribution system that exists today uh, are, are real, but I also think that it's sort of the pressure from um, the people that aren't maybe in our IA space. So whether that's a captive agency company or one of these non-traditional upstarts, um, as as market as share shift begins to take place and accelerates, um, that leads not only the C-suite, but also their board of directors to, uh, to start asking very, very pointed questions, right? And um, that ultimately will 
lead to changes in the way that the carrier dis distributes their product. And they may be they may be a carrier that is 100% committed to the IA channel and they're never going to do anything other than that. But I think that those pressures will lead them to concentrate their efforts and to concentrate their writings with the agencies that are that are doing business in the ways that they that they expect business to be done. Yeah, I think it's unfair of agents to look at a carrier who's considering going direct and say that they no longer believe in or trust in the retail agent, the independent agency model. Um, I can tell you, Marty, you could do the exact same from firsthand experience talking to countless carrier professionals. Um, the carriers who have conversations with us, whether it's official or off the record about potential direct models, um, you know, it's never because they don't believe in the retail agent. It's never because they don't want the independent agent to be successful. That's never the case. That is, I've never once uh, talked to, an, to a carrier, whether they're considering or just discussing or actually have a direct option, who said, you know what? We'd so much rather do all this work ourselves. None of them say that. The reason that they start to consider this is for the exact reasons that you talked about, Marty, is that these, there'll be a board member at a carrier who will say, how come these two idiots from MIT who have no insurance experience can start a company and, and, and be doing this new cool way of connecting with insurance consumers who've never had policies before that are potentially in our sweet spot and we can't get at those people? How come we're not writing those people, right? Those are very legitimate questions that board members could ask a carrier. And, and when you look at it and you see retail agents, and we're going to get to a call in a second that's going to make me lose my mind. I'm going to, I'm going to struggle not to go bananas on this, on this podcast. But when you, when you hear how agents handle requests, inbound opportunities over and over and over again, it's tough to have faith. At least you have to start hedging your bets. And guys, I'm not saying we're doomed. I'm saying the, the best of us are going to survive and we're always going to survive. But the, the, those of us who are unwilling to push forward, one, are becoming an anchor to the best, every single day becoming more of, a, more of an anchor. And two, they are all these startups that are happening, none of them are going to take over the market, but they are going to carve out their little slice. And as there's 900 some odd insure tech startups today, 700 of which are focused on the distribution space, that's 700 new players, 700 new pieces of the pie that are starting to be carved out. And there's not, the pie isn't getting any bigger. And, right? and let's not, let's not, uh, let's not, you know, uh, chicken little, the sky is falling. The mass, the vast majority of those probably won't survive, right? Okay. There are a lot of crazy ideas that I look at and I go, obviously these guys don't know anything about insurance and good luck being around in you know in three months much less three years but there are enough experiments going on right now that sooner or later somebody's going to find a an avenue that resonates and they will make it better and it will get better yeah uh you know i mean one of those techn i know we're all over the place and on this show which is completely fine. um 
you know, one of the technologies that I maybe wasn't as, I didn't see the business case for, I just couldn't grab it in my mind. It wasn't that I wasn't interested in it, but uh, is artificial intelligence. And I want our whole next show to be about artificial intelligence. But if, 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 you, if you guys are sitting out there today and you don't think that in the next three years, artificial intelligence will be impacting your business either directly or indirectly, you are out of your mind. It is coming. It's coming like a cannonball, and it's going to start really, really slow, right? What's that quote you have all the time, Marty? Change. We overestimate change in the next year, but underestimate it in the next 10 years or something. Yeah, two years and 10 years. Yep, that's exactly right. I think, you know, when you think about our artificial intelligence, we're already two or three years in. So we're looking two or three years from now, we're looking at years five, six, seven. It's going to start impacting our business. And, and, what, and what that means is it may not impact our business in a way like, like we're going out of business, but you may never have the need to hire another CSR again. Chatbots and, 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 and AI inside of uh, communication vessels, let's not use chatbots because I think that's just a buzzword, yeah. um, I think have the potential to, to make it so we never have to hire another CSR again. I want to, I want to, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to limit what you just said. We may not have to hire a low level entry level CSR. There are CSRs, you know, in our agency plant that are incredibly skilled and will never be replaced. Well, that's probably a stretch, but well, it'll be a long time that. before they're replaced by, by anything that could come out of an AI lab today. That's where I was going before you interrupted. Me. Okay. <laughs> so yes, I, I think what it allow us to do is take our best, uh, producers, our best internal staff, you know, CSR, receptions, whatever, and it will allow them to produce white gloves treatment, right? What, what they really should be doing, working on the problems, helping people, but answering 30, you know, car changes a day. Why do we need a human being to do that? No, they don't want to do that. Your, your customer service reps don't want to do car changes and print IDs and, and change credit cards. I mean, that's all stuff that can be easily automated. And I think it will be in the near future. So um, guys, this is what I would say. Read this report from McKinsey. Think about the fact that it was written four years ago. Think about where we are today and where we're going. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to absolutely blow your mind. Um, I had someone in a comment on the first, uh, on the first podcast release, the first part of this say, McKinsey's always at an ax to grind with independent agents. I, I, I can't speak to whether that's true or not, but I can tell you that this report is a lot closer to being accurate than it is to being inaccurate. And, uh, and, and that hopefully will not, it shouldn't scare you because like I said, the best of us will always survive. They're absolutely positively, but the, 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 the game now becomes, how do you make your agency one of the best? Hey. That becomes the game. It becomes a true meritocracy where there's some culling of the herd coming. And some of that's retirement. Some of it's going to be inadequacy of ability to deliver services. And um, the vessels of propping up those who do not perform are quickly falling away. And, uh, and we just need to be aware of it. Now, I know you guys, if you can put up with Marty and I for 30 to 45 minutes every week, you're probably you know, more towards one of the best than one of the worst. Hey. Let, let me let me let me tease the conclusion because we did say that we were going to sort of hit the highlights of that in our last podcast. So I just 
this this is sort of this is the sort of the the why to, to Ryan's um you know urging you to read this report. I, I just want to tease what they call out uh, as the agent models of the future. I'm not going to go into detail, but I'm just going to give you what their their bullet point headlines are: a traditional commercial lines agent, large multi line agents, agents with leveraged or lower cost models. Teams of specialized agents, small, <coughs> excuse me, small niche expertise driven agents, and small virtual agents. So those are all the places where they believe, where McKinsey believes that there's still huge opportunity for the IA channel to continue to deliver their expertise and the special um, the special features and benefits that you can provide to your clients. So uh, as Ryan said, read the report. It's eye-opening. It's, it's great. Um, it'll be worth your time. Marty, you know what you didn't hear in there? Local, small, generalist, non-virtual agency. Ryan, are we guys ahead of our time? <laughs> All right, so let's. I want to finish the show. Uh, I got a hard stop in a couple minutes here, so I want to. I want to make sure we get to this. So uh, you guys have heard us talk about it before. I think we've played them before. Um, we talk a lot about customer experience here at Agency Nation. Uh, obviously, Elevate was all about customer experience, and Elevate 2018 will will have um, elements of customer experience in it as well. It's a topic that I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. So we listen to a lot of phone calls that come through the trustedchoice.com platform so we can learn what consumers are asking. It gives us tons of business intelligence into how to make our product better. And, uh, and we are constantly improving, whether you believe that or not. Um, so I listened to a phone call the other day. Actually, Derek Hyde, our CTO, listened to a phone call the other day, forwarded it to me. I forwarded it to Marty. And I said, Marty, this makes me want to run headfirst into a brick wall. So I'm going to play this, just a portion of this call. I'm going to set it up. Young gentleman moving out of his parents' home uh, into an apartment, needs renter's insurance, calls an agency. Uh, this woman picks up the phone. She asks um, him a bunch of questions. The questions are fairly meandering, but all in all, the process takes about seven minutes. Here is how she leaves it off, all right? This is how she leaves the call off. This clip is 15 seconds long. And then I have a comment on it um, that I need to share. So here we go. What is Saturday? I don't even know what today is. Um, yes. Okay. Um, I should be able to get this back to you tomorrow. Okay. okay. Um, if you don't hear from me today, Wednesday, if you don't hear from me by Thursday, Friday, give us a call back. Marty. It's a renter's insurance quote, okay, renter's insurance only. He, his car is still under his parents' insurance, okay? He's looking for renter's insurance only, 25-year-old guy. She takes all the pertinent information to get a quote. I can tell you because I went back and checked, this call was received by the agency central time mid-morning, okay, mid-morning. On says, a Wednesday. On a Wednesday. I can't get you a quote back today. Now, anyone who has ever quoted a piece of business, think about how long it actually takes to write a renter to quote a renter's insurance policy. First of all, you know the price right off the top of your head. 
$125, whatever it is in your area, you know that. You all, we all have written renter's policies before. You can just tell the guy, hey, is $117 too much? It's probably going to be close. I'll get you the actual number, okay? But it takes her all of 20 minutes to do the quote. She says, I can't get it back to you today. Maybe tomorrow. Probably, or no, she doesn't say probably. She goes, it might actually be Friday. And if I don't call you on Friday, you call me back. So here's what she's saying. I don't give a shit about you. I hate you. I hate that you called me. You are bothering me. I just want you to go away. I can't even be bothered to guarantee you I will call you back within 24 hours with a renter's insurance only quote. I am going to tell you that you, you person who would pay me and make my company money, you might actually have to call me back to get the thing that you need by Saturday. You, by Saturday, back again. <laughs> so, just whoa, big fella, because I'm going to solve your whole problem. All right. The reason she can't call him back. Well, we know what the real reason is, but but the reason in her mind that she can't call the guy back is because she's got 30 auto endorsements to process. Going back to our earlier discussion. That's why these new technologies are so critical because because she's not a sales focused individual. She's a service focused individual. Unacceptable. It's unacceptable because you know why? You know what that 25 year old guy says? He's probably going to buy the policy, right? He made the phone call. He's probably going to buy the policy. He's saying in his back of his head, independent agents suck. Independent agents are the worst. Oh my God. I had to call this woman back. She couldn't even give me a quote. I could have went on lemonade and had that policy in like four minutes. If if the guy was in New York, that's he would have heard about lemonade via social via you know his social feed, and it would have been all over. Yeah. Now I know what the pessimists are saying out there. They're going Ryan, margin and time, a renter's insurance only. Well, he has his car with his parents. You're telling me that he's going to be in this new location for six months and he's not going to want to possibly think about bundling his home and auto. You can call him back. You can bring the auto over. He's going to grow up. If you do a good job for him, he might actually buy a house. This is how business works. This is how we've always done business, except when it's an inbound opportunity that we don't, we've never met the person before. We're like, nah, screw you. I don't have time for you. You have to call me back. What? It's insane. Guys, this is why this is the problem. This is the problem. This is what makes me crazy is that, first of all, the amount of time and effort that I put into TrustedChoice.com to create that opportunity for this agent, and she just pisses all over it, let alone the fact that now that guy hates us because that's a terrible customer experience. Now he thinks every independent agent is terrible. Now when his buddies call him and say, oh, dude, where'd you get renters insurance? He's going to be like, don't go where I went. It was a pain in the butt. Go to Geico or something. And if guys, if we don't think that this is how it works, this is absolutely how it works. We have to know how our people answer the phone. We have to listen to how they answer them. We have to think of ourselves as everybody's got to be a salesperson or they should never pick up the phone. If they can't sell something, they should not touch the phone. They certainly shouldn't be taking people's information. That, that, 
this is this is the problem. Oh my God, Marty. All right, we got to wrap this okay. up. I, I'm just all I'm going to say is the Motion Picture Rating Association used to give this show a PG. We are now firmly in the R category based well, on your man. This is like this is a microcosm, guys. I, I could I could play forty of these just from yesterday of just fumbled, thrown on the ground. I don't care about you. I'm not gonna. You have to call me back to buy the thing. It's all insanity. It's making me crazy. We have to fix this. I know if you're listening to this show, this probably isn't you. I know that. But talk to your friends. Figure out who in your state or your association or your cluster is doing this because they're impacting you. We're all, as much as we may not want to believe it, we're all in this together. That guy thinks independent agent. He doesn't think whoever this agency was. So just fight, fight, fight. It's. I know you don't love you, you, I know you don't love the idea of us all being one collective thing, but in the minds of consumers, for many, many consumers, we are. And one great customer experience could keep a client in our channel forever. And uh, and that's what we're fighting for. So, e- Episode 87, where Ryan and Marty trade places and Ryan is the raving lunatic. We're out of here.